hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We're concluding our series tonight called Soul Talk. We have been bouncing off some excellent material produced by Soul Tour on mental and emotional health. And we've looked so far in our series at burnout, at anxiety and depression. I'm so grateful to Josh and to John who come and joined us on this journey. I think these have been amazing messages. You can see the live streams or the podcast. also recommend that you go to uh, Soul Tour dot uh, com and you have a look at their resources that they have. They have full 25-minute videos on each of these things that are amazing. And one thing that's become increasingly evident in this series is the importance of how sharing uh, these issues is. When there's stuff going on in our life, we want to share about the things that affect us. It's not enough for us to hear a 30-minute sermon and think that somehow we're going to be changed. We need to find people we can be vulnerable with about our fears, about our insecurities, people who can hold that information well, and then we can see freedom in those. And if you want to be involved with people like that, then please come and speak to us, and we would love to link you in with our Connect group. What I want to do tonight before we begin, we've got a big topic tonight, I want us to pray. Is that cool? Can we do that? Let's pray. Great. Lord God, tonight we thank you that as we're here in this place, we're gathered here together. God, your spirit of peace is amongst us, is with us. We pray, God, that you would uh, take what we talk about. And Lord, you would bring, uh, not despair, not hopelessness, but Lord, that you would bring freedom. And so God, we ask for you to do what you do in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I want to begin with a question. When have you lost something that meant a lot to you? When have you lost something that meant a lot to you? Here are some of the things in my life that I have lost. Uh, first, it was stuff. When I was a kid, I took my favorite Green Lantern toy to the playground. And unfortunately, I left it there. I went back, and I, this was my favorite toy. I went back to try and find it, and it was gone. Someone else had taken it. I prayed and prayed, night after night, God, could you help me find this toy? But I couldn't find it anywhere. It was a real crisis of faith uh, for me. <laughs> I'd lost something of value. Maybe it's not stuff, but a loss of culture. Straight after I got married, I moved from New Zealand to the northeast of England. It was a great season, but at the same time, there was some cultural misunderstandings. Even though they, they speak English there, it's a very different form of English. And if you're not from New Zealand, you'll probably think the same thing about us as New Zealanders. I lost the ability to communicate clearly. Whenever I talked about a pen, they thought I was talking about a pen. Whenever I talked about a pan, they thought I was talking about a pen. There was a, a real loss that went on and a disconnection from my New Zealand culture. Then there have been times of when I felt injustice. When I first started working, I held a position in an organization that I loved. And then one day my boss called me into his office and he said, it's not working out. We're moving you into another position. And actually, that other position was a better position. Ah, but it was devastating for me. I placed a lot of my value in having the original position. 
and it really hurt. And then there are the relationships that end. I had a friend I trusted and respected who broke my trust and then left town. And so whilst there was forgiveness, I knew our relationship would never be the same. And I find I had to come to terms with not only what they'd done, but the loss of them from my life. Then there's been changes of season. Uh, Four weeks ago, my daughter turned five, and I went to pick her up on her final day of kindy. As I did, I was overwhelmed by the sense of the end of a season. For six years, I had taken my daughters to this kindy. It was a big part of my life. And so as I went to say goodbye and went to say thank you so much to these amazing kindy teachers, I couldn't help it. I started crying. I'm like, oh, thanks so much for all that you've done. And I said to my daughter, are you going to say goodbye to Kendi? She says, bye, Kendi. Just walks out the door, doesn't even look back. For her, it's just like, eh, this is normal. I'm just going to go to school tomorrow. This is just, there's no big deal. It was pretty big for me, though. There was some loss there. But the losses that I sense the most, and the losses that you probably sense the most, are the people who have died. Uh, a few years ago, my brother's partner had a stillbirth. She was 24 weeks pregnant, and the baby just died. No explainable reason. She still had to give birth to this beautiful baby boy, and we got to visit the hospital and visit this precious life. And together as a family, we just cried. We had a funeral, and we said goodbye to the future that could never be. It was the saddest experience of my life. Tonight we're talking about the process we must go through when we lose something important to us, anything important to us. It's called grief. I want to highlight tonight that grief is about far more than mourning over someone who has died. It's about any time we lose something of high value in our lives. We can sense pain over a hundred things that mean something to us. We feel pain, and the thing we must do is grieve. The other day I found a gray hair. That was was a lot of grief as well. I go, no way. Um, (laughs) But the reason we need to grieve is because it's so important. Grief is the way that we let go of the pain and hurt in our lives. That we let go of it rather than hold on to it. Grief is painful but healthy. Henry Cloud and John Townsend say, Grief is the one pain that heals all others. It is the most important pain that there is. The problem, though, is that we actually spend our lives trying to avoid pain. We do everything we can to avoid having to feel this pain. But that's not the best way. Pain can actually be healthy. Pain can be helpful. Think of the pain of growing muscles. Scripture teaches us that the work that suffering and grief and pain does is important. Romans chapter 5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. That's not a statement you hear very often, right? We can rejoice that we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. 
See, God is doing a work in me. God is doing a work in you. So we don't run from the pain. We face it. We need to see that every time we lose something of value, it is an opportunity for God to allow suffering to do its good work in us. It will help us strip away our coping mechanisms, and we can rely wholly on him. We must grieve. The writer uh, of Ecclesiastes teaches this in chapter 7. Sorrow, he says, is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. By sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. When we try and run from our grief, when we try and run from pain, we're a fool. We try and fill our lives with with coping mechanisms, from drugs to pornography to cutting to making jokes to making people happy to exercise in an effort not to face the sadness in our hearts. And the Bible teaches that that way is foolishness. Instead, the wise person embraces the sadness of face that makes the heart glad. The path to joy often goes through the valley of despair. If we don't go through that valley, then what happens is we get stuck. I'm convinced of this, that a lot of issues in our life is because we have not been able to properly process our grief. I had a friend who lost his mum to cancer. The night she died, the family gathered around her bed. As soon as she passed, it was this weird thing I've heard. No one cried. No one said anything. They didn't talk to each other. They just packed up their things and they left. She's there, dead on the bed. And they say, okay, we'll pick this up. That's got to go. That's got to go. This isn't our room anymore. We've got to move out. And they didn't even cry. They sealed up their emotions like a dam. They tried to hold it together. A few months later, I saw my friend and I asked him how he was doing since his mum had died. And he said, oh, no, I'm doing fine. Then there was a pause, and he said, but it was a weird thing. The other day, I was just driving along in my car, and I started crying. No idea what that was about, but I'm doing fine. I'm doing, I'm absolutely fine. See, the thing is that that was the dam beginning to break. The grief was beginning to come off. He was shutting himself off from his grief, even though it was something he desperately needed to do. See, we believe that time will heal us from loss. But if we don't face that loss, if we don't grieve, then it will still be there months and even years later. You'll either complete your grief or you'll repeat your grief. And repressed grief will damage us. I had a friend who loved a girl. But as the story often goes, she didn't love him back. He was devastated. He was convinced that this person was the one for him. And he never truly grieved it. He never truly came to terms with that loss. And so all he could do was hold on to that one girl. And as a result, any other girl didn't quite measure up, didn't quite match up. And he always looked for a way that potentially he could get in with this girl. The reason he never, 10 years later, the reason he still wasn't with someone is because he had not let go of the hurt 
from losing that one relationship or what that situation said about him. If you do not adequately process your loss, you will become lost. What we need to do, what we need to get good at is making friends with disappointment. Learn to be sad about change and move forward. The problem is that unrealized grief often comes out as bitterness. When we grip onto something that has died, that death seeps into other areas of our lives. We blame others. We blame God. We miss out on a positive future. And what I want you to know tonight, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, what I want this one thought to go through your mind as you go through your life is this, that grief is the doorway to freedom. Grief is the doorway to freedom. When I lost my position, I grieved it. It was messy and emotional. I had to deal with a lot of anger from within myself. But I now see that if I hadn't done that, it would have defined me and stopped me from stepping into other opportunities in my life. We must grieve, and then at times continue to grieve the things that we've lost. Or it will be a barrier to the good things happening in our lives. It often involves a lot of tears and talking, a release from the emotional investment in our life that we put into that thing. When we get through that protest that says, I don't want this to be true, and accept the new reality, then we can say goodbye to what can never be. If you have something that when you think about it, it causes you pain, I just want you to mull on that for a second. If you have something that when you think about it, you go, oh, that causes me pain, then there is a process of grief that needs to happen. A process of grief. So then how do we grieve? Well, it's a journey, and it's a process that looks a little bit different for everyone. So the actual list goes denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I saw this other great clip online from The Office, where Michael Scott, the greatest boss in the world, uh, is talking about something that's going on in The Office and how people need to grieve. And he starts reading this list about denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And he says it's a boss's job to get people through to acceptance. Or if we can't get them there, then at least a depression. If I've made everybody depressed, then I've done my job. (laughs) It's not that simple, of course. We have a range of emotions, and at times these can double up on each other. These emotions come in waves. Sometimes we think we're over something, and then it comes again. And depending on the depth of the issue, it can take 24 months or even longer to properly process our grief. But don't do this alone. Tell people what's going on in your life. Share your story. and Be gentle with yourself. Schedule time to process and to think it all through. When we said goodbye to my brother's son, uh, we all wrote our hopes and our dream for him on uh, balloons. Uh, they were um, helium balloons, and we released them into the sky. On the anniversary of his of his birth, we still sometimes release balloons, and we grieve again, and in some way, we celebrate. He was still born in our hearts. Like a house with a room we can never enter, he made our, room, our, our lives larger. Grief is not easy. It's emotional, and it's messy, and that's okay. 
Take, for example, Jesus. He suffered grief and he suffered pain and through it he learned obedience, which showed he was qualified to become the source of eternal life for all people. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. We need to follow Christ who embraced suffering but also freed us from it. We need to make sure we don't move on too quickly to replace the the loss with something else that we wanted. But when the time is right, we need to be open to a new future. Winter does pass. Spring will come again. There is a season for planting new seeds of life. Grief, says Lois Tonkin, is like a black area in our lives that we learn to contain and grow light around. When God has taken something away, we spend a lot of time asking for him to to give it back, to give back what you've taken from my hands. But ultimately, we need to see what is in God's other hand. God will use grief to grow us. And open us to new possibilities. Weeping may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning. I think the most popular and misused verse in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 11. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, that plans for good and not for disaster. They are to give you a future and and a hope. And I think it's popular and misused because people believe it is God speaking directly to every individual life about just how good everything's going to be. That's not the point of Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is written to a group of people, first of all, not to an individual. And it's also written to a group of people who are struggling with loss. See, the nation of Israel have been taken captive and dragged away from their homeland. Some prophets were saying that they would return straight away. God's going to get you back, they would say. You're going to return straight away to your homeland. But Jeremiah had a different message. He let them know that God was going to keep them in exile for 70 years. For some of them, their whole lives. Something that would have caused them great grief and despair. And they're going, God, why would you do that? And our problem is that we want to know why. Why suffering happens. But the encouragement of Scripture is to actually be in that place of not knowing. Jeremiah, who wrote this, also wrote the book of Lamentations, where he poured his heart out to God with sadness. Do you know a third of the Psalms are laments? The sad songs to God. Scripture beautifully encourages us to weep and cry and groan. And that's why Jeremiah tells them to forget their old perception of reality and to embrace something new that God is going to do in them. Verses 5 to 7 of Jeremiah 29 says, Build homes. You're going to be there for 70 years. You want to go home? It's not going to happen, guys. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. 
for its welfare will determine your welfare. Great verse, by the way, about the way we engage with our city. But Jeremiah 29 shows us an example of the way God can take a situation where we have to let go of something that is precious to us and make something new and different. And those plans, God says, are for good and not for disaster, for a different future filled with hope. So there might be something that you're hanging on to, and you know that it's a dead thing. You're going, but God, your plans for me are good, so this is going to happen. But what God might be saying to you is, let it go. Be sad, grieve it, let it go, because the other future I have that you can't see is even better. God wants you to grieve what has been so he can get you ready for what will be. After I lost my position, I let it go, and I got involved in this this new position. And then later that year, another opportunity came along, which would end up being the most incredible adventure of my life. If I hadn't lost that position that I I, uh, looked at to give me value and worth, I don't think I would have been as open to what God really had for me next. Now, instead of looking back at that experience with anger and with bitterness, I look back at it with gratitude. I was thinking about it this week and going, God, you're so good for taking me through a horrible situation because what you had for me was so much better. That's the power of grief. May you experience the same. And here's the cool thing. In this series, we've been saying that we're doing discipleship and we're doing mission. We're changing some things in our hearts that we may see others around us change. We can lead others in righteousness. So I want you to have a think of others in your life who you can help in this area too. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says, He, God, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So pray and help yourself first. Find that help for you. And make sure that you're in a place to deal with others' deep hurt and their grief. Then you'll be more easily able to recognize what is happening in someone's life. Talk to them about the importance of grief. Ask them now and then, how is grieving going for you? Encourage them not to shut down their thoughts and feelings, but to take stock of them as they begin to let go. Go on the journey with people. Be a safe place for them to talk and be understood. Mourn with those who mourn. When God first came to Israel and described himself, the first word he used was compassionate. Compassionate. We need to be compassionate as our heavenly Father is compassionate. Can I have the band come up, please? And you guys, please stand. I want to pray into this tonight. And I know we're in a space where maybe there's some things that we put our finger on a little bit, and you just sense that pain. And actually it feels like, if I let that go, it's going to feel a little bit out of control. So be wise tonight in how you respond. But I'd encourage you, if you're sensing that, that that could be a good sign that there is a grieving process that needs to go on, that there are people that you need to talk to. But I just have a couple of things, a couple of questions 
to ask tonight. It's something to take us through. My first question is this. What is the greatest disappointment of your life? The greatest disappointment of your life. The thing that when you think about it still causes you pain. Just have a think about that thing for a moment. For some, it might be neglect, it might be abuse. For others, it might be the loss of relationship. It could be so many different things. My next question is what is needed for you to find closure? How could you get to the point where thinking about that thing doesn't immobilize you anymore, doesn't cause you such a high degree of pain? Is it talking and crying? Is it spending time journaling about what you've lost? Engaging in a conversation where you share your pain? If you can think of that thing and you can think of a way to find that closure, I want you to, even in your own mind now, determine that you are going to schedule time to properly grieve. Schedule time to let that go. Here's my last question. Can you see the light around the dark area? Can you see what might be in God's other hand? The thing that he is giving you that is better than the thing that you've lost. In particular, if it's a person, that doesn't mean that that person didn't matter to you. We never forget them. It's still part of our story. They still matter. But we learn to let go of all of the pain might be holding on to us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Can we pray? Let's pray. Oh, good God. We so need you. God, I want to pray for my friends here tonight. I just want to ask for a special touch of your spirit. I want to ask for your blessing to be upon them. Lord, that you bring your spirit into this place right now. And Lord, for those of us who have lost, and we haven't grieved it, I pray right now, God, just for your touch upon our hearts and our lives. Even if this is not quite the space for us to let everything go, Lord, that, that you would wrap us up in your arms and say, come on, we can walk through this together. We can do this together, you and me. And Lord, as we go into this process, Lord, I pray that you would give us insight and clarity. And even though there may be times when we feel like going through a process of grief feels a little bit out of our control, we know nothing is out of yours. And so we trust you even in this process. 
to do the work that you want to do in our hearts and our lives, to open us up to what you have next. So God, I pray for those who mourn, that you would bring your comfort here tonight, that you would bring your love, surround them with your love in Jesus' name. Tonight, God, I want to pray for those of us who are holding on to dead things, injustices, bitterness, relationships that hurt us, neglect, abuse. Lord, may we grieve these so that they do not have authority over our life anymore, but instead we might walk into the freedom that you have for us. We pray that you'd show us how your way while it may not look like our way is infinitely better. You are good, God. You are good. And I pray for that goodness right now over every heart and over every life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.